Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Kevin Dibley begins a new series, From Brokenness to Blessing, Into the Heart of God. The life of Abraham is a fascinating one because, as we will see, Abraham's journey was not so much a journey to the land of Canaan, but actually a journey towards heaven. His destination is not so much an earthly one, but a spiritual one. It's a journey of a fatherless and airless man into the presence and promise of God. It's a journey into the very heart of God. God takes a broken family and a broken man and shows him that he'll make him a father of many nations, who reflects the very heart of God the Father himself. This is an invitation to you all to bring your brokenness and join us in our study of the life of Abraham. May the story of Abraham's journey from brokenness to blessing become the story of all who find the hope of God by faith as he did. Let's worship together. Well, grab your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 18 as we continue our study in the life of Abraham. And uh, our sermon is entitled this morning which is fitting with Tim's prayer, Feasting on, Feasting with God. And uh, so that's going to be the scene in Genesis where Abram puts a, a feast before the Lord. And I'm just going to invite you to do that this morning. You know, if, if you're tired, if you're weary, if you're burdened, you don't need to be working right now other than to surrender to the Lord and just say, God, I just want to feast on you today. Just give me rest, give me peace, give me grace. That's what we're here to do. And to, and to see this is the longing that Abram has in the text of Scripture and what it offers for us. And we're going to talk a little bit about um, Abraham's hospitality for God and how that hospitality teaches and instructs us about our own hearts this morning. But let's read, um, So just so you know, I'm breaking us into verses 1 to 15, 18 and 19 really form a structural unit in the book of Genesis. So it's, uh, I'll talk about that in a second, but I'm just kind of taking the, the first part of the story. This is all part of really the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, which is a, is a quite devastating text of Scripture. Um, and this text stands in contrast, Genesis 18 stands in contrast to Genesis 19. But let's, let's spend a little time in Genesis 18, 1 to 15 today. It says, And the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed bowed himself to the earth, and he said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet. Rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three sayas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared, and he set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She's in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. 
the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything, you need to hear this, is anything too hard for the Lord? What's the answer to that question before I carry on? No. Is that great news? Is anything too hard? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah will ha- shall have a son. Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh because she was afraid. And he said, no, you laughed. <laughs> Aren't you glad the Bible has scenes like this? You know, if you don't think the Lord has a sense, uh, sense of humor in him, some of these times you just look at it and you go, I didn't do it. She does very much a dibbly. That's a dibbly. I didn't know. I, oh, I, you know. <laughs> and the Lord's going, no, you did it, sucker. <laughs> I was reading in the book of Judges, Judges chapter 6 the other day with Gideon, and I love it because the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon, and Gideon is threshing weed in the wine press because he's scared of the, their enemies around them. So there's down there threshing, and the Lord comes... Um, greetings, valiant warrior. I laughed right out loud when I was reading it, you know. Here's Gideon who's putting out fleas, trying to think, okay, really, Lord, really, Lord? He gets called valiant warrior. Isn't it great that God sees us the way he can deal with us, not the way we deal with us? So here's Sarah laughing at the impossibility, the improbability, and God's going, what? Is anything too difficult? You're laughing? I'm not laughing. I'm serious. You're going to have a child this time next year. And so as we come into this section of Scripture, again, I want you to see that here we have Abraham fellowshipping with God. It's a unique, you know, if I told you today God was showing up at your house, Zacchaeus-like, right? God's going to show up at your house for dinner today. I'm sure some of you would be quickly leaving right now to get the meal together, right? Here's Abram, God's fellowshipping with him. And, and it is in the Bible so that we can learn some things. I'm going to talk about um, feasting with God, how hospitality reveals the grace of God. But, you know, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, we have this exhortation, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. The word hospitality means as philoxenia, which is philos love, xenia strangers. A xenophobe is somebody who's afraid of strangers. So uh, this is a love of strangers. He said, don't be, don't, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Why? For thereby some have entertained angels unaware. And that's what happens in this text. And I think sometimes what happens in our Western scientific culture is somehow we've lost the idea that we are living in the interplay between the heavenly and the earthly, right? And so we live in this mindset where we don't realize that constantly we are interacting with spiritual forces that are working this life. God is present with us. And so we live kind of in this dissected world. And we're told to be reminded that when we are doing what God has called us to do, God shows up. And, and, the, and the, the challenge I want to I invite you to today is for you in your life to ask God to show up. To, to ask God to show up in a real way, a powerful way, a fresh way in your life. Are you willing to do that today? Because we all sort of get into that sort of busy routine of life where somehow real deep friendship with God is gone. And this is, this is important in Hebrews chapter, or sorry, in Genesis chapter 18, because in Genesis chapter 18, there's something that happens. There's a contrast. At the beginning, you have three men show up 
And of course, there's theologians who have argued that this is a, a early depiction of the Trinity. Um, I think uh, some say it's a theophany, some say it's a Christophany, that Christ is appearing here. It's certainly the Lord shows up. And uh, the three men show up in 18, only two men show up in 19, the angels. The Lord doesn't show up in Sodom like he shows up with Abraham. There's something between Abraham and God here. The Lord shows up here. Sodom is not gonna, doesn't have that friendship with God. So listen to what Spurgeon says about this text of Scripture because he's, he's quoting from James which says, Abraham is called the friend of God. And it's not merely that God was his, his friend. That was blessedly true and was a wonder of grace, great wonder of grace. But he was call, honored to be called the friend of God, one with whom God could hold sweet converse, a man after his own heart in whom he trusted, to whom he revealed his secrets. I'm afraid, Spurgeon says, there's not many men of Abraham's sort in the world now. You know what he's saying here? Because what happens after Genesis 1 to 15 that we're studying today is the, 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 the angels of the Lord turn to go to Sodom and they say to one another, should we tell Abraham? The Lord says, should we tell Abraham what we're doing? And Spurgeon picks up on that. And he says, God is bringing Abraham in on his conversation. That's friendship. And so the question I have for you is, do you have that kind of friendship where you're communing with God such that God shows up and God speaks into your life? And uh, that's what the gospel is, by the grace of God. That's what we're going to celebrate in communion. The Lord showed up, brought us into his family, but we want to cultivate a relationship of communion with God where we say, come God, speak to me. Make yourself real to me. Make yourself alive to me. And I think what happens a lot of times with um, Christians is that we just kind of live in the no man's land of darkness and the shadow lands of not a dynamic relationship with the Lord. So what you and I need to see in Genesis 18 is Genesis 18 and Genesis 19 are actually structurally designed to, to provide a contrast with one another. Here's friendship with the Lord. Here's not friendship. Here's hostility with the Lord. And there's a chiastic structure, for those of you who study your Bible a little more, a chiastic structure is where you begin to say certain lines, you repeat lines, and then you work your way backwards. So there's parallelism through 18 and 19. It's not accidental. This is one of the beauties of the Bible, and you see it's inspired by the Lord. It's actually very carefully designed, and it climaxes with the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. So as you're studying this, here, here's the contrast that you and I are meant you can have friendship or you can have hostility, but there's no man's land between. You need to have a relationship with the Lord. You need to be all in, but you need to ask God. This is, how do you do that? You ask God to be all in with you and invite him in today. So Derek Kidner in his commentary talks about the structure of 18 and 19. He says the noon, notice this, I want you to see it. it Where's Abraham at the beginning of chapter 18? He's sitting in the tent at the heat of the day. He's in the middle of the day. Taught. The noon encounter in 18 and the night scene at Sodom in the next chapter are in every sense a contrast between light and darkness. The former, quietly intimate and full of promise. The second, all confusion and ruin. That's how you're supposed to feel this way. And, and so the way that you're supposed to read Genesis 18 and 19 is you have two options put before you. As Moses said, I'll put before you life and death. Light and darkness. Fellowship, friendship, and hostility. You get it? 
And so that's what's going on here. And so Ray Stedman in his sermon, I like this when he talks about this, he says in Genesis 18 with Abraham and God in this fellowship, he says it's a combination of grace and groceries. Here's Abraham running around getting his groceries, but the whole issue isn't about groceries. And even when we talk about hospitality, it's not about the food, it's about the fellowship. It's about the friendship. And so here's what I want to ask you this morning. What can we learn about Abraham's hospitality towards God and how does hospitality speak into our lives as we interact with one another? And I think we can learn some things here. So let's start out with the first principle I want you to see in this text. The first principle is this text is first of all about worship. It's about worship. Hospitality here for Abraham reveals Abraham has a ravenous hunger for God. And that's the question I want to ask you. Do you have a ravenous hunger for God? In verse 3, he says, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass me by. And here's the first thing I want you to see in the text. This text is not God being hungry. The Lord needs nothing, right? This is not about the Lord being hungry. Who's hungry in this text? Abraham. And again, this is a good reminder about hospitality. Christian hospitality is not about the food. It's about the fellowship. It's about the friendship. And so Abraham is the one who's hungry. Let me give you a Piper quote. Piper says this. This is from his book, Hunger Hunger for God. If we don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God. I'm just going to stop with that line. I want you to meditate on that line. Do you desire a manifestation of the glory of God in your life? If you don't, there's something fundamentally wrong with you. As a Christian, right? There's something fundamentally wrong with me if I just want to do life without real relationship and experience and encounter with God. If you want a strong, if you don't have a strong desire for the manifestation of the glory, I want to, you know, Abraham, show me what? Your glory. David, looking at the stars, the heavens declare what? The glory of God. That's the echo of Scripture. Show me your glory. That's the echo every Sunday. Why would you come to church this morning if you didn't have any hope of seeing the glory of God? Right? Why get out of bed in the morning, quite frankly? So Piper writes, if we don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it's not because you've drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because we've nibbled so long at the table of the world. Our soul is stuffed with small things. There's no room for great things. Boy, we're capable of this as human beings, right? We can fill our lives to max. We maximize our stuff. And what does it do? That stuff doesn't satisfy. In any way, what it does is it displaces a passion for which you were made. What's the chief end of man, according to the the Westminster Shorter Catechism? The chief end of man is what? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's not a new truth. That's a fundamental truth that's been taught for generations. You and I have been made to enjoy the glory of God. And there's no glorifying God if you're not enjoying the glory of God. Right? So so that's what Piper's saying here. This is the problem with sin. Sin fundamentally isn't that we're doing wrong things. The sin is fundamentally we're worshiping the wrong things. We're treasuring the wrong things. We're trying to find life and satisfaction. 
So let's take a look at Abraham's hunger for God. How do we see it? What, what, is, what do we have here? Genesis chapter 18, middle of the day, near east. This is Phoenix in the summer, right? This is the heat of the day. He's sitting in the tent. Why is he at the doorway? Because the air conditioner isn't working, right? It's, he's getting out there where there's at least some air. Any, I used to, you know, I don't know if my mom and dad are, they waited till we were pretty much moving out before they bought air conditioning. And I think maybe it was the way they got us out of the house. Then once we were gone, they put the air conditioners in. I don't know, we, used to, we had this three, two-story brick house, and we, the kids, we all slept upstairs, and no air moved in that house. And in southern Ontario, it's like south of here, it would bake all summer long, and we'd just lie there and swelter all summer long. It's kind of the day that Abraham, Abraham's in. He's in the middle of the day, he's sitting there, and then three show up, the Lord and the two angels. What does he do? He's 100 years old, and he's hot. He runs. And he falls. Why? Because he's hungry. Do, do you think he, he has any inclination of who that is? Of course he does, because he says immediately, Oh Lord, he is Abraham. This is not Abram uh, of Haran, who's hiding out of fellowship, hiding away, licking his wounds, and waiting for the sorrows to pass. This is Abraham who has now come to know that there is El Shaddai, the God Almighty. And he sees the slightest shadows coming out of the desert sun, the haze, and they're suddenly before him, and he runs and he falls down, and he pleads urgently. What's his plead? Verse 2, verse 3. O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. I feel like God told me today, impressed upon my heart, this is what I want you to pray today. If you're going to get anything out of this text, pray this prayer. O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass your servant by. Isn't that a great prayer? So when I was, this, this is Abraham saying, don't keep going. Don't leave me. This is, this is Jacob wrestling. I'm not letting you go till you bless me. Right? And this is what, this, you come to God and say, don't let me go until you change me. Don't let me go till you fill me. Don't let me, do not pass me by. I, and, you know, we used to, back in the old revival days when I was growing up, we would have these church services and they would start singing. There's, a, there's an old hymn called, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. Any of you know that? And so if you're part of an African-American gospel community or something, you go on YouTube and put in, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior in there, and then you listen to it this afternoon. But they would start playing the keyboard at the end of the service and the song would go, Pass me not, gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Savior, Savior. Hear my humble cry While on others thou art calling Do not pass me by They would play that song over and over. And you'd sit in the chair and they're saying, come on, God's speaking to somebody today. 
That's Abraham. That's Abraham. He's running out. He falls on his face. Don't go by. Do not pass me by. Do not leave me. See that? That's what, that's what the fellowship is. This is spiritual hunger awakened by the Spirit of God. And so what does he do? He runs and he prepares an extravagant feast. Again, this is rather humorous to me because he says what many of us do. Just drop in. We'll wash your feet. How about a little water and a morsel? Now, if you're Sarah back there, you're going, that sounds good. A little water, a morsel. We can get out behind the camels. We got a little water. And then he runs into Sarah and says what? Let's get three sayas of the best flour. Three sayas or what? It's, it's seven quarts is one saya. 21 quarts of flour, honey. You imagine Sarah behind the tent going, 21 quarts of flour, honey. Right? And he runs off and he goes to the farm and he gets the best calf and it says he looked for one that was tender and good. And he said, let's get that together. And H.A. Uh, Ironside once was preaching a sermon and he got done the sermon and an old gentleman came up to him and he said, I liked your sermon today. It was like Abraham's calf, tender and good, right? And that's what he says, just a tender and good calf. He's, and then he went, what, curds? Everything. He was putting out a feast because it, he wanted him to stay. He wanted, is Abraham a friend of God? See, he wants an encounter with God. This is what we've got to get in our heads. Fellowship is not about the performance. It's about the pleasure of the presence of God. Tim's prayer this morning. It's, I used to pray for things. Now I pray for you. Right? You're the treasure. And so that's what's going on here. And then what does Abraham do? It says in this text, he stands there and he, he hovers. Now, that's very servant-like, like a waiter, but he's also, that's what, this whole thing was to be in the presence of God. Can I ask you the question, is that anything like you right now? I, I am sure that for some of you, your spiritual life, you're sitting at the door of the tent in the heat of the day. Dry. Dry. And you need to pray, pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. While others, while on others you are calling, do not pass me by. Psalm 63. This is what the psalmist says. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land when there is no water. Is that a good sign spiritually? No, it is. It is, right? I, 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 nothing satisfies me except for you. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is what? Better than every single other thing that I've been feeding on. My lips will praise you. I will bless you. As long as I live, in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich foods, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. You know, one of my longings when we come into worship together as the people of God is that you actually just come in and feed on the Lord. 
I don't care if you know anybody else is around you on one level while you're saying, of course, we're corporately worshiping and we're helping each other worship. But there ought to be this longing in our lives as the people of God from the rising of the sun to the setting down of the same that the name of the Lord would be praised. Right? Do you have that? Do you want it? Plead. That's what's going on here, worship. And so we need that. We, we need, and so fellowship, this is what I want, I want to say a couple of things. The reason why we need fellowship and the reason we need other people around us is because that's where God shows up. You know, if you try to tell people you should fellowship more and it's duty-oriented, people go, I, don't, I, I have enough people in my life. And you know what they mean by that? I've got enough problems in my life. Right? I don't need any more people. How many of you in your head right now are thinking, I don't need any more people in my life? Right? What's, what, what drives you towards connecting loving strangers and expanding the realm of your connections? You know what drives you? It's because God loves to show up in those places. You know, before COVID happened, just over a year ago, Marianne and I had some friends in for dinner, and they were they're Asian and atheists. And so we were having dinner together, and while we were talking at the table, um, we were asking about Chinese New Year and what they did, and our friend said he doesn't go home, uh, back to Hong Kong, um, I think it was Hong Kong, he doesn't go back to Hong Kong for Chinese New Year. And I said, why? Why don't you ever go back? And he goes, because my brother goes then. And I said to him, why does your brother go and you don't go and then he told me that his brother had done something 10 years ago that had brought shame on the family and he says so my brother goes back for Chinese New Year I go just before so I asked him this question would your dad want you to reconcile with your brother and he looked at me like yes my dad definitely wants us to reconcile it was a perfect opportunity given by the Lord to tell the story of the prodigal son. I said, there's a great story in the Bible about exactly that. And I said, you know, in the story of the prodigal son in the Bible, Jesus tells a story about a brother who doesn't want to reconcile with his brother because his younger brother's made such a mess of it. And so he refuses. And the father you know, the, he was supposed to go and find his lost brother, but he wouldn't do it. And then he comes back and the father welcomes him and he's ticked off at his father and he's doing all this kind of stuff. And Jesus says, you know what? He accepts the younger brother and reconciles and the father... And this, this a man, this friend of ours who was sitting at the table was totally in. It just was right where he was at. And I, then I told him this. I said, do you know why I want to do what he's doing? I said, because my older brother came and got me when I messed up so bad. My older brother's Jesus. This is the story of the Bible. That moment at our table with people who were atheistic was God was at the table. It was a powerful moment that I couldn't orchestrate. I want a million of those, don't you? I want a million of those kind of situations and that's why we need each other it's not just for it's, it's, it's moving beyond the strangeness of Minnesota nice with fellow Christians 
So we can hear the stories. Listen to what Trevin Wax, when he talks about gospel community, he says, if you excise, cut out the gospel community from your thinking about the gospel, you get the gospel of its purpose. Though the church is not the subject of the gospel announcement, Christ alone is, of course, the church is a necessary object, Christ's death has a purpose to save sinners and incorporate them into a community that reflects his glory. I don't know how many times, I think I do this every week, I tell someone, you've got a family. You're not alone. And the brokenness and the alienness, I think every week I tell somebody, this is your family. You've got a home. You've got a brother who's got your back. Is that good news? Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. Don't you want to pray that, sing that today? So that's the first thing. Hospitality is worship. Hospitality is sanctification. Abram's not the only person in the story, right? Who else is in the story? Sarah. (laughs) Sarah's actually the subject of the conversation. She's listening in, and she's the one being talked about here. And so let's, let's realize that Hospitality produces worship. There's a place of worship. Hospitality is also a place of sanctification. Why? Because hospitality reveals where our hearts are still resistant to God. Right? Don't we all have resistance to God? Unbelief. God help my unbelief. So what, what happens with Sarah? She hears the three, the Lord talking to Abram. This time next year, Sarah's going to have a baby. And it's really clear in the text, Sarah's post-menopausal. And she's going, uh, I don't think so. Right? Really? <laughs> she's going, I'm worn out? She looks at Abraham. He's worn out. This is going to happen now? And the Lord speaks and says, okay, now, where is she? She's behind the curtain. She's behind the tent. What she forgot is what? So is God. So he's not just out there with Abram, he's back there. And so she's talking back there going, really? Is this what, you know, you can imagine the scenario. She's back there going, oh yeah, right, you know, yep, yep, yep. And God's going, oh yeah, what? Right? He's back there with her and said, why did Sarah say that? You know, Abram, you know, and Sarah's going, I never said anything. And God goes, oh yeah, you said anything. Right? God knows what's going down. Is anything impossible with God? What's going on in that scenario? Because Sarah does, she's, she's spoken well of. She's spoken as a godly lady in First Peter chapter 3, an example of faith. God is dealing with the residual unbelief of a hard life for Sarah. He's dealing with Sarah. And this is one of the things, this is why fellowship's important. Because a lot of times in fellowship, we're not ready, we feel dry. We're, we're, we know something's unsettled between, you know, she's come out of Hagar and all that baggage, the conflict, all that. She, she's just not right. And some of you, I just want to tell you, it's, I know you're not right today. I know you're not all right. It's okay. It's all right to be not all right. Yeah. Isn't that good news? Because God's got you. And so she's, she's working through this not all rightness with God and God comes in because here's what God loves to do. He loves to put people just to listen in on the conversation because when they're listening in on the conversation, God is actually talking to them. Who's God talking to, Abraham here or Sarah? 
Yeah, he's talking to Sarah, and he's talking to, he's talking to both of them. And that's often what we need to understand, that what happens is when we're in fellowship where people are focusing on God and the gospel, what God loves to do is he loves to just kind of shoot the gun and get everybody. <laughs> right? Doesn't he do that? And so, listen to what Dustin Crow writes. He says, sanctification within community is a two-way street. God matures us as others love us in word and deed. He also strengthens us by stretching us to share our faith, serve with our gifts, enter into, I like this line, messy relationships, which all of them are, of course. Just so you know, you cannot enter into a human relationship that's not messy. Being plugged into a church body and committing to grow in maturity along others isn't an option. Gospel-centered sanctification only happens as you humbly receive the gospel and the gifts others bring to you and then doggedly commit to the, do the same for them in return. So, so here's, here's what it looks like. I'll give an example. My friend Tim, who prayed here today, we were just talking about this this last week. Tim was talking about a time in his life when God saved him, when really God got a hold of his life. And he said he was in a small group, and he was miserable. And in the small group, the other people were talking about 1 Thessalonians. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And they're all processing that and talking about that. And he said his temperature was rising because of the circumstances in his life. And he said he was angry with God. And he said as he sat like Sarah listening to the Christians talk about being thankful in all things, God was going after his heart. And it changed his life. God brought him to... Isn't that great how God does that? How many times are we in fellowship when we don't want to be in fellowship? And you're, I, I mean, this happens all the time with our small groups. I think almost every small group meeting, nobody wants to go to it, right? Because they're always inconvenient. It's Friday night. It's some night. The kids are acting up. You've been working. You feel like everybody's probably got COVID or something. You know, you're thinking, I do not want to go to that meeting. Everybody goes to small group. They come out going, man, I'm glad I didn't miss that. And it's not because they brought a whole lot of stuff into it. It was you're sitting there listening to people talk with God and about God. And as you're sitting there, God is talking directly to your heart. Is that good news? That's what's going on in this text. Sarah, is anything impossible with God? So I'm saying that to you this morning. Put your name in there. Replace Sarah. Put your name in. Is anything impossible with God? Come on, bring it. Bring it. You know why you're angry with God. Bring it. You know why you're afraid. Can you bring it? Is anything impossible with God? Hebrews 10 says, And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good deeds. Why? We need it. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Isn't that good news? So the... Let me give you this line. The best position for a struggling Christian who's going through hard times is to be in a place where you can overhear the word of God and you can invite God to overhear and minister to the struggles of your heart. Right? Got that? Interplay? Is that fellowship? 
That's fellowship with God. I love that. All the time when I'm worshiping with you, I, I'm like super ADHD. I'm always having out-of-body experiences, just so you know. You're talking to me. I'm listening to you. God's going, dibbly, dibbly, dibbly. Right? You have that? Or am I the only crazy person? I'm the, I, well, I could be the only crazy person. But that's the beauty of life in Christ. God shows up. Don't you want God to show up? Here's the last thing. When we do hospitality, this is, I'm coming back to the meta-narrative, the big story of Genesis 18 to 19, we are acting out the gospel. When we're fellowshipping, what are we doing? When Abraham in 18 is coming to God and fellowshipping, he's reminding us that though the wrath of God is coming on Sodom, there's mercy for those who seek the Lord. Right? Light and darkness. Life and death. Friendship and hostility. And so as we look at his fellowship, it's giving us hope, the promise of God, the seed of Abraham. Christ is coming to bring fellowship and communion with God. Sure, it says that God has the right to pour out wrath, but God delights to show mercy. And so witnessing hospitality is reflective of the redemptive heart of God. Listen to Matt Chandler. God has been hospitable to us. That's one of the main things of the Bible. Even when we were living at his enemies, God came and saved us. Your blood has washed away our sin. Jesus, thank you. The wrath of God completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once we're enemies, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. Right? That's what we're singing today. We demonstrate that we truly appreciate the divine hospitality we receive as we extend our hospitality to those around us. Rosario Butterfield in his book, her book, uh, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, says, Radically ordinary hospitality shows the skeptical post-Christian Minnesota world what authentic Christianity looks like. God is family. Christ is our brother. He reconciles us to himself. So let me make some quick points before we take communion. You and I need to distinguish Christian hospitality from worldly hospitality. Christian hospitality is not putting on a performance. It's offering a place of rest. Did you hear Abraham? I mean, Abraham's God. He's pulling out everything. He's worshiping. But notice what he says. It's hot. Come in. Let's wash your feet. Let's give you water. What are, what are people longing for? They're not looking for performance. They're looking for, for a place of rest in a world that's gone mad. They want to hear the words of Jesus. Come to me, you who are what? Weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Right? They don't need Martha. Martha, Martha, Martha. Mary's chosen the better thing. Right? You got it? So that's the, it, it's, put, it's not putting on a performance. It's offering a place of life. It's not attempting to gain acceptance. We're not inviting people so we can be included in the club. It's sharing and offering the fact that acceptance has already been granted to us in Christ in the gospel. Romans 15, 7 says, Therefore welcome one another. How? 
as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. That, another way to say that is, therefore, because other translations, accept one another as Christ has accepted you. For what reason? For the glory of God. Sola Deo Gloria. For the glory of God alone. Finally, it's not anticipating a return invitation. We don't enter into hospitality with people, hoping that people would invite us in return. We enter into hospitality in order to anticipate the great hospitality that is yet to come. Right? We're expecting not a return invitation, but a return of a Savior. And even we read it this morning. Let me read to you what's going to happen, friends. One day, the great, host, the great host, the great act of hospitality will be Jesus Christ welcoming us to his table. And on this mountain, Isaiah 25 says, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a food full of marrow of aged wine, well refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all people, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken it and it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God whom we have, waited for, we have waited for him that he might save us. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Isn't that a great word? Well, stage one of that came when Jesus came and gave himself as the bread and the water, the bread and the wine. I am the bread of life. Whoever eats of me will never be thirsty again. I am the fountain of living water. If you drink from me, you'll never thirst again. Isn't that good news? And that, he will be who we feast on. He will be the one who wipes away our tears. He the, he'll be the one who makes all things new. Is that not good news? So friends, we're going to take communion. And uh, I want you to pray. I want Waterbrook to pray together today. Pass me an auto gentle Savior. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were able to seek, savor, and share the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to find out more about our church, submit a prayer request, watch previous sermons, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed week.